Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The term mastermind was originally written in Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. Before that, the earliest documentation that we have of a mastermind group was Ben Franklin's group that he used to meet every single week in a tavern that he called Huntus. Nation, there's no doubt about it. Life is too short to do it alone, and it's not very much fun to do it alone in. Nation, I urge you to go to scalinguph2o.com and find out if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. I'd love to have a 15-minute call with you to explain all things Rising Tide Mastermind and see if this is a group that's right for you and you are right for the group. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. It's hard to believe it's that time of year again. It seems like just yesterday we were in January. The years go by so quickly. And it's my hope that you take time to capture all the things that you are learning in this amazing field. And let's face it, when we learn something each and every day, it becomes an interesting day. So it's my hope that you are learning something each and every day. And that's why we do this podcast. We want to make sure that you have something out there as you are traveling from account to account that gives you that little nudge to learn something each and every time that you listen to this podcast. And we all know that if we do our job the same way each and every day without trying new things, without trying to learn new things, that becomes very boring and that's where burnout occurs. And I've talked to so many people that say that they are burned out in their job. And I ask them, what do they do to make this job new every day? And the people that love it have an answer for that. The people that are having issues and struggling with burnout, they don't have an answer for that. And because they don't have an answer for that, they're getting that burnout. So there you go. There is your tip of the day. Try to make sure you're learning something new each and every day. Meet somebody new each and every day. Do something a little bit different each and every day. This job will reward you with so many things, not just with the people that you're going to meet, but the things you are going to learn, the things that you are going to see. And at this time of year, I think we all need to put our focus on things that we can do to make a difference. I want to talk about a few things in today's episode, some things that we can do that are a little bit outside of our normal day-to-day, -day, just celebrating other people. But I bring that up because our job wants to give you a gift. And the only way it can give you that gift is for you to treat it properly. And all the things that I just said, that is how you treat this job properly. And it is a gift that will give you something new each and every day. I absolutely love being an industrial water treater for that reason. And it's my hope that you do as well. Well, Nation, as we start wrapping up this year, there are just so many things that we did together this year. We had so many guests that came on. 
We started out the year with uh, how do we do a SWOT analysis and how do we set up this year for the best year it could possibly be. And then we just had some amazing guests teach us things in all areas, water treatment, business, personal development. There are just so many things that we learned this year from all of our wonderful guests. So I want to thank all of the guests for coming on Scaling Up H2O. I like to go to conferences to meet new potential guests, but I will say I get to meet so many people because of the Scaling Up Nation. The Scaling Up Nation will say, we have somebody that you need to meet and get on the show. And then that person in the Scaling Up Nation will introduce them to me and we then have them on the show and it's fantastic. So thank you for making sure that we always have topics, that we always have guests to interview. That is my number one fear with this podcast, that we are going to run out of things to talk about. Now, 300 plus episodes in, we have not had that issue. And that that number humbles me every time I say it, because I remember sitting right here where I am right now. I had different equipment, but I was sitting in the exact same spot in the same room And I did the podcast for the very first time and had no idea what the future held. I also remember that when I was listening to podcasts, I had certain people that I would listen to and I would look at their episodes and they were in the hundreds. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I will never get there. I wonder when my show will start to take off. I wonder when I'll start finding that groove. I wonder if we're going to make it to 100. I wonder if we're going to make it to 200. I remember thinking all of those things because I knew nothing about a podcast. And each and every year, we always talk about how are we going to stretch ourselves? Well, when I planned 2017, when we started this podcast, I didn't think about doing a podcast. Somebody challenged me to do it, and it was in the back of my mind, but it wasn't until right when I did it that I decided that I was going to do it. So there wasn't as much planning with the original podcast episode that I normally do, and definitely as much as we do now. But my whole point of that was I tried something new. It was something I didn't know much about, and it has now become one of my passions. So many of you out there in the Scaling Up Nation, I would not have known had it not have been that I got out of my comfort zone and I decided that, hey, I'm going to put this podcast out and I'm going to learn along the way. Well, I hope that you find something that you can do that with. I hope you treat your job like that. As we talked about in the very beginning of the episode, this is how the job was meant to be done. And folks, when we're learning new things, things just seem to be better. I'm just so excited that we've got so many shows out there. Uh, 343 is how many shows are out there including this show, and that is just amazing to me. So with that, if you have an idea for a show, please let us know what that is. If you have an idea for who we should interview, let me know that too. And people are always asking, Trace, you give so much with this show to us in the water treatment community. What can we do for you? So I'm glad you asked that. And this is something that's super simple, but it helps us so much. If you can leave a review on your favorite podcast player, 
What that does, that changes information in their algorithm. It actually pushes our search closer to the top, so it makes us easier to find for water treaters that are looking for the Scaling Up H2O podcast. So if you can give us a review, that definitely helps our cause there because we are trying to find as many industrial water treaters as we can find because we all know this life can be lonely driving from account to account. And I know that it makes a difference when you listen to this podcast and you know that somebody else is listening with you. They're listening to the exact same thing. They might be having a similar issue to you. And when you know that you are part of a community, things are just better. So I'm asking you to help us grow the Scaling Up Nation, help us grow the community, and you can do that by leaving us a review. And of course, continue doing what you're doing. Uh, let people know that we have an industrial water treatment podcast, and there's so many people in our industry that don't know how to subscribe to a podcast. So help them out with that. Let them know how to do that. Let them know that we have a new episode that drops each and every Friday and uh, they'll be set up and they'll be telling people how to get new podcasts soon. So thank you in advance for all of that. And thank you for all the people that have been doing that. There is no way we would have the numbers that we do without you doing all of that. So I am so appreciative. The great staff here at the Scaling Up H2O podcast is appreciative. And I really think that we are carrying out our mission. Our mission is to raise the bar in this industry, and you are helping us do that. So thank you very much. You know, a way that we can say thank you in person and something that's just become amazingly fun is we do a hang. We do a hang every quarter. And a hang is super simple. You know, you go to a Zoom call, you go to a video call, and it can be a little boring. Well, that is not this call. This is where we repurpose Zoom. We repurpose video conferencing and we make it fun. It is a happy hour. We are going to have our next one January 11th. That's going to be at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We'll start exactly at 6. We'll end exactly at 7. And this is what we're going to do. You're going to meet people in the industry. We'll have a few industry facts, some things that are going on that you might want to put on your list. And then we will quickly get you into a, a deliberately small breakout room. This is where you have about four or five people in a breakout room, and you are going to meet people that you might not have met before. You're going to introduce yourself, and we always explore, is there anything you need help with? Is there anything you can help with? And there are so many success stories where somebody was having a problem with a water softener. And there was a water softener expert on there. And they said, did you try this? And they hadn't. And that was the solve to their issue. There are dozens of stories like this. So you never know who you're going to meet on this hang, and you never know who you're going to meet that's going to be able to help you for a problem you haven't even experienced yet. Our industry is wonderful because of the so many people that are members of this industry. So when you get to meet more members within this industry, it just helps you with any potential issue that you could have in the future, but it also makes things more fun. We've got some great characters within this industry. And when you know people that understand the same common knowledge that you do, you can just go into a conversation. You don't have to explain what it is that you do. You can just start talking about it and people immediately get it. Well, that's the hang. 
you're going to meet a lot of people. You're going to have some fun. And if you will, mark your calendars, January 11th, 6 p.m. Once again, that is The Hang, and you can find that scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. All the information that you will need will be right there. Something else you might want to plan for is January 22nd through 24th in Chicago, Illinois. Well, that is the Air Conditioning, Heating, and Refrigeration Institute Expo. And this is taking place, like I said, in Chicago, Illinois. And this is all things plumbing, hydronics, heat pumps, refrigerants, AI controls, uh, business and professional growth all around heating and air conditioning and refrigeration. So if this is something you want to learn more about, we're going to have all that information on our events page. And you can just simply go to scalinguph2o.com and navigate over to our events page and we'll have everything for you there, including the BOMO Winter Business Meeting. That's going to be taking place January 28th through 31st in Washington, D.C. And this is where members can come to network and participate in interactive discussions on current trends and best practices in commercial real estate to help and shape the future direction of BOMA International. So if this is something you want to learn more about, that's also going to be on our events page. And while you're on that events page, make sure you check out all of the things that are coming up. It is amazing how much is out there in our industry. And until we started tracking all of this, I really had no idea. And there are several things that were here in Atlanta that I didn't even know about. So that could be the same case for you. Go ahead and check out that events page. There might be something in your backyard that you are right there in the right location to go visit, and you're going to learn so much information and meet so many people. Why not take advantage of that? So once again, scalinguph2o.com. Go over to our event section. Nation, as you've come to expect each and every episode, this year is a brand new installment of Periodic Water Table with James. Here's James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's periodic water table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is BCDMH, or bromochlorodimethylhydantoin. First off, what is BCDMH? Is it considered an oxidizer or non-oxidizer? In what form is BCMDH available? How is BCDMH fed to a system? What are its reaction byproducts with water? How is its concentration in the system measured? How is it controlled? Is it fed continuously or intermittently? Does pH have any impact upon BCDMH? Does water temperature? What's its chemical formula? Remember, knowledge is power and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learn to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalinguph2o. I look forward to learning more from you. BCDMH, 
bromochloral dimethyl hydantoin. I remember that was one of the first things that when I started working with my dad, I thought was really cool that I could say. And saying that, I will say that when I was 17 and I was working with my dad, I thought using big words were really cool and people thought you were smart using really big words. I think anybody that's been in this industry for any time knows that that's not the case because big words get big questions. And if you don't have big answers to those big questions, you're asking a lot of questions. And I say this not because it's not good to not know the answer. I, I think you should always let people know, hey, I don't know that, but I will find out what that answer is. And that's actually more weighted in that relationship that if you were just able to spit something back to them. But I say that because a lot of people will talk to customers with really big words and the customer doesn't want to feel foolish. So they will answer you in the affirmative, but they have no idea what you're talking about. So always talk to your audience and always leave your audience a little bit elevated with their knowledge than when you started that conversation. And when people can look at you as an ally for water treatment knowledge, that really elevates why you are there. And of course, one of the ways you're going to learn a lot is to tune in each and every week where we're going to have a brand new segment with James and we're going to have a brand new podcast episode where you're going to learn so much about water treatment. Nation, I have had our next guest on our program before. He's always a fun guest. I know you are going to learn a lot, and I know you are going to do a lot after you hear our next guest because there are some things that you can start doing that are going to boost your presence on whatever social media platform you are on and how people find out about you before they actually meet you. I know you're going to love this interview. Here it is. My lab partner is returning guest, Adam Tank. Adam, welcome back to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Thank you, Trace. So this is the first time you've been here solo. I don't know if I should be nervous or excited or what, but I'm ready. So uh, I look back, that was episode 181, and I think that was when you guys were thinking about doing your own podcast, and then you came back and you were on episode 279, where you let the Scaling Up Nation know that you started the podcast called What Are We Talking About? That's right. Yes. It's been a fun journey. Yeah. So tell us about that. So you, you came on, you wanted to see what the world of podcasting was like. You said, hey, I want to do this myself. What happened then? Yeah, I mean, it, it was Jim and I wanted to be interviewed on different podcasts to see how we worked together on one of them, because it was important that him and I had a good vibe, if you will, and make sure that we are similar enough in how we view the world of water and how we talk about storytelling and water, but also different enough that you don't feel like you're listening to the same person when both of us are talking on a show. And what inevitably happened was we decided we did play well off one another and went ahead and started recording podcasts with a bunch of different folks. So I think now we're up to maybe 50 different shows, which is nowhere near what you have done, Trace. You are like the pinnacle of success in the water podcast arena, but we're working on our numbers and getting them up there. Well, we both started at episode one. That's right. That's where everyone's got to start. So uh, we're talking about Jim Loria, of course, and I think his uh, tagline is the guy that writes about water. Is that, is that <laughs> what he calls himself? I think he would certainly say that. I know that he likes to use the to know water is to love water. And 
he just has an incredible online presence. And I'm so fortunate to be able to have him as a mentor and as a friend, uh, both inside and outside of the water world. Just an amazing guy all around. Having mentors and being mentors is a theme that I always talk about here on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. I'm curious, how did you two get into that mentor-mentee position? Jim and I spoke at a conference in Washington, D.C., and as I was leaving, he was sort of trailing behind me, and I was getting ready to hop in an Uber, and he asked where I was going, and it turned out we were both heading to the airport. And we were also both heading to San Francisco, and I think maybe on the same flight because at the time we both lived in SF. And that was what kicked it off. So a conversation in the car ride on the way to the airport, and then we started to meet maybe once a month in San Francisco together. And at the time, I was building a robotics company in the water industry. And Jim, of course, has you know probably 30 years of experience on me in water. So I got a chance to learn from him about the industry and then also just learn about his experiences as a CEO and as a sales leader and all kinds of things. And we just, we, we really hit it off. The hardest step for someone is to ask somebody to mentor them. Any advice around that? I don't recall there being a formal ask or pitch to him. It just sort of organically happened. But I have been a part of other mentor-mentee relationships where it is a more formal ask of sorts. The thing that I would say is that the mentor gets just as much out of it as the mentee, if not more. And to me, that is the key part of the conversation, because I think a lot of people think when they go to mentor someone that it's going to take hours and hours and hours of their time, and it's going to be a big commitment, and you don't want to fail that person, et cetera. But really, it's about curiosity on both sides of the table. And if you take that approach to it, that it's a learning experience for both of you, that is what I have seen to be a pretty successful relationship. So making that pitch, if you will, that this is purely something that we can both learn a lot from one another. And as a, on the mentor side of the table, knowing that you're going to take away probably a lot more than the mentee does oftentimes makes it a much easier ask than something that's, you know, formal and sort of laborious. I love that. Adam, for those of you that have not met you yet, do you mind telling the Scaling Up Nation a bit about yourself? Sure. I've been in the water industry for about 15 years now. I started my career as a microbiologist in the food industry and learned that the absence or presence of water has a drastic impact on the quality and safety of the food that's produced. And that's where I sort of fell in love with water. I didn't know it at the time, but I realized that, you know, it's, a, it's the world's most important resource and it's critical to life as we know it. And then after graduate school, I stumbled into a job at GE Water. Shout out Ralph Exton, who ushered me into this industry full time. Amazing guy, another phenomenal mentor to me and have never looked back. I've now gone from big company at GE to running a startup of my own that was acquired. And now I'm back again on the startup train with this latest one, Transcend, software company. Well, tell us a little bit about Transcend. Sure. So one of the biggest challenges that we as a, really the world, but we'll talk about US infrastructure face, is that the stuff that we built 50 years ago is crumbling and breaking and in terrible shape. And so I'm talking about the pipes in the ground for water. I'm talking about the water treatment plants that are in existence. And there's not only an unbelievable amount of time and energy that goes into fixing that stuff, but when we go to build new things, oftentimes we are still building the same things that we built 10, 15, 20, 50 years ago that aren't future-proof. So what we do as Transcend is enable the people responsible for designing these systems, for engineering these systems, to look at and evaluate more options 
early on in the conceptual design process because we automate that work. So all of the hours and the time spent from a salesperson or an engineer who are looking at what's the best treatment system to utilize and how big should it be and what are the processes that need to be involved, all of that can be automated conceptually so they can focus on more innovative solutions, more cost-effective solutions, more sustainable solutions. So we can build water infrastructure that's going to last for you know 100 years or 200 years instead of the next 10 before we have to fix it again. Something you do incredibly well is create content around water and all sorts of various topics. I know you've been a speaker at several conferences, so I really enjoy reading your blogs. I wanted to talk about a few of those, and one of my favorite ones was uh, where you talked about Tim Ferriss's book and how you tried to get on the the four-hour work week and retire when you were in your early 20s. Tell us about that. Yeah, four-hour work week. Did not become a four-hour work week. I failed miserably. At the time, I was living near a beach in Rio de Janeiro. So I had moved to Brazil to help a small Brazilian food company update their, pra- their quality practices so they could start exporting their food internationally. And every day I'd get on a bus and go to work and I'd look out the window and I'd pass by the beach and think, man, if only I could just retire on a beach at, I was 23 at the time, at 23 and sip caipirinhas the rest of my life and drink out of coconuts. Like life would be really good. And I had read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and thought, this is it. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a way to work from anywhere. I'm going to start an online business and try to make it on my own as a little side hustle to see if I can take off. A couple months after I started this little business, it was an, it was an online e-com business. It was a gift website. I had generated, I never forget this, generated 67 cents on my first sale and was over the moon about it because I had coded this website on my own. I had figured out the business model. I had done all the legwork to make sure that I was, you know, creating content and scouring the internet for, for cool things to sell. And the first time I got that check, digital check, it was, it was like this whole world opened up that this is something I could do for myself, start my own business and be successful in doing that. Well, a couple of months after that, I lo- tried to log in to my website and it was shut down and I couldn't access it. And what I'd come to find out was I didn't read the T's and C's properly for, I think I was hosting it on WordPress at the time, and they didn't allow affiliate linking as a part of their websites, at least not affiliate linking to Amazon. I don't know if it was all affiliate linking, but most of my, my revenue is coming from affiliate links. And so they said... Basically, like your website shut down, you can't get it back. The only option that you have is to try to transfer it to another domain host and another site and go from there. Otherwise, you're SOL. And at that point, I just decided it wasn't worth keeping it going. So this dream of my four-hour work week was quickly dashed because of my inability to read a contract, basically. <laughs> well, I'm curious. What did you buy with your 67 cents? <laughs> I have no clue. Is that a down yeah. payment on a Caparina? Yeah, yeah, that must have been it. Exactly. Well, when it comes to marketing and online content, you put some amazing stuff out there. And when people look at the things that you do, they get intimidated and they don't know where to start. Mm. Obviously, we're in a digital world for today. What advice do you have for our listeners to just start to push that first domino? I heard this from someone else and it was, I took an online writing course a couple years back and the guy that founded it said something pretty profound that has always stuck with me. And that was that 
the things that we take for granted or the things that are obvious to us are not obvious to others. So the things that you do in your day-to-day are not obvious to others, and chances are there are people in the world that are going to be interested in those things. So doing something as simple as documenting your day. Take a photo. If you're in the water industry, take a photo when you're out on site. Let folks know what you're up to, what challenges you're facing the day, what win you had. Simple stuff. And post it and gauge the reaction. There's no risk, no harm in that. And you'll quickly come to find that the internet is this amazing vehicle for serendipity. And when you post things online that are unique to you, you will come to find that an audience of people will find you. They will, they will be attracted to you. So just start small. Don't overthink it. Share some stuff about your day, something that you maybe found interesting or that you learned, and go from there. I love that answer because so many people think, well, what do I have to offer? Who, who would want to hear what my day was about? But people do. Oh, so, so much, so much. I shared a video of, of an excavator operator maybe a year ago. And this was, it was literally like a, a bird's eye view of a guy just doing his work, digging a trench so someone else could replace a pipe. And that video went mega viral. People were just fascinated with someone doing their day job, which was literally digging a trench in a street. But I think part of the allure is that when you're not in it day to day, you don't think about these things, but you come to realize how critically important they are. And speaking about water, we don't generally, the population doesn't think about it. So when you shine light on the things that it takes to make our water systems function, people generally are pretty intrigued because it's not something they think about often, but they use every day. So we in the water industry actually have a pretty low bar, I think, to being successful in creating content because not a lot of people do it. And it's, it applies to everyone in the world. And there's not a lot of other industries or professions that can say that. You mentioned the internet and obviously everything that we're doing is shifting to the internet if it hasn't already shifted. How important is it for a company to have a digital presence? Critically important. And if it's not the company, I'd even go so far as to say it's more important that the individuals or an individual within the company has that presence. People want to connect with people. They don't want to connect with a faceless, amorphous blob. They think probably of your business, Trace, as Trace. Now, of course, you're going to have employees, you're going to have folks out in the world that are representing your business. But the fact that you have a podcast, they see your face, they feel connected to you and people want to do business with people that they like and trust. And the best way to build that trust 24-7 in a pretty low cost way is to have a brand online and to have a presence on the internet. And to me, if you're not doing that, you're missing out big time. I've been using my same banker for about 15 years, and he recently retired, and there was a new gentleman that was introduced to me. The first thing that I did was try to stalk him online to see who I was getting ready to meet. So if he did not put things on LinkedIn and other areas that I looked at, I don't know if I would have engaged with him. I I do the same for employees we're getting ready to hire. I encourage the folks that that work on our team, I tell them all the time, if you don't control the narrative around your brand, your personal brand or your company brand, you are leaving it to the will of whoever it may be. And chances are the whoever's of the world don't have your best interests in mind. So I'd much rather be proactive about owning my brand and how people view me than 
I would just letting it sort of take its course, right? Throw it to the wind. That's a pretty dangerous experiment, if you will, especially in this day and age. Well, let's unpack that a little bit, especially when it comes to water, because as you said, the common population doesn't think about water. We want them to think about water. We want them to think about us when they think about water. So when it comes to customer engagement, what should we be doing? To me, it's the, this is all about people. It's about the person drinking the water, the person using the water as a part of their business, the person who sees water as something for recreation, for swimming, for boating, for fishing. And on the other side, our side of the table, although we are also all consumers in the water industry of our product, our industry is all about people. So the best example I can give you that I've seen in recent past is water utility has to dig up a street to repair a main. Happens all the time. More often than not, the only communication that a utility is sending, if they're sending anything, is you're going to be out of water service from this period to this period. And we strongly encourage you to boil your water for 24 hours after such and such a date, right? And we'll notify you when, when things are fixed. That doesn't do anything to connect people on both sides of the table. So the greatest example I've seen when this exact situation occurred was that the utility sent out a notification digitally and, and a physical copy where they could to the affected neighborhoods. And they said, here are the people that are going to be fixing your water main. These are the five employees. These are their names. They have kids. They live in your community. These are the ones responsible for helping get your water service back up and running. Such a different shift than this amorphous right, utility that's communicating with you. And just that little tweak makes a huge difference in how people connect with their water systems and how we connect with the people that we work for. Something that's so important, I think people look for, or more importantly, they might turn off when they don't hear, is when people try to be commercial, when they, when they try to create a commercial versus and trying to humanize, as you just mentioned, or trying to educate. Are there some rules, are there some guidelines as you're creating a message to make sure you're going in that educational direction? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. And it's going to be variable based on the organization that you work with or for. So big companies aren't going to want their employees going rogue and communicating whatever it is that they feel like they need to communicate that day. So if you're in a part of a big company who you, you will probably know has standards for this kind of stuff, you're going to want to check with them first. You don't want to make anyone upset. You certainly don't want your job at risk. Follow those their guidelines. And most big companies are going to have it, whether you're a water treater, whether you're a utility, whether you're an engineering consultant, whatever role you play, if you're in a big company, probably going to have guidelines. If it's more up to you as an individual or maybe a small team of people, what I would say is reflect on what resonates with you as a consumer of another product. I recently did a workshop to a group of community utility communicators in the Pacific Northwest. And one of the things we did was had everyone scroll through their social media platform of choice. And I gave them two minutes. And I said, as you're scrolling, make note of something that stands out to you. And just keep scrolling. Find as many things that stand out to you as you can. And at the end of the two minutes, we all came together and we, and we literally have a folder, a shared folder now online of all the things that stood out to us in our social media feed. And by and large, what you'd find is that the content that resonates with you the most is what's most humanized or what's most clever or what's most creative. And use that as a source of inspiration 
for creating whatever it is that you want to put out into the world. It's a really nice way of sort of borrowing from the best and using that as a guideline to create because it helps you start from a place that's not from scratch. You sort of have a foundation there. I'm from the South, so we have expressions for everything. So the expression <laughs> I'm going to use is, is the juice worth the squeeze? And there, there might be some people out there, there might be some companies out there that are saying, okay, all the time we're going to invest in this digital presence, in posting things on social media, is it really worth it? And how do I know? I'm quite biased, as I'm sure you are. Yes, it's worth it. Shouldn't even be a debate. How do you measure it? Million dollar question. Attribution is a very challenging thing when it comes to marketing and a true ROI. I will tell you anecdotally how I measure it for myself and my personal brand and for our company, Transcend. And that is that when I go to a conference of other water professionals, how often am I approached by someone who I have never met in person or have never met at all, and they say, I love your content, or I love what Transcend is doing, or hey, Adam, it's great to see you, right? It's great to finally meet you in the flesh. It's a measurement of a human connection. How well are you connecting with people? So it's not about reactions online. It's not about engagement. It's not about any of that stuff. What it's about is how often are you or your employees and your team recognized and spoken to and create that one-to-one human connection where it wouldn't have been done otherwise? That's my ultimate measure of the success of these types of efforts. I really resonate with that answer. Uh, We get to do a lot of things with this podcast because of the sponsorships that we get from uh, vendors within the water treatment industry. And let's face it, you put an ad on a podcast, the phone is not going to ring off the hook. You're not going to get a thousand emails. But what I've heard is when they engage in conversations at trade shows, or maybe uh, they're calling people to see how things are going, one of the first things they get back is, I heard you on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. So there's there's proof of exactly what you're talking about. You bet. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I think about it from from industries outside the world of water. Why does Coca-Cola need to advertise? Why does BMW need to advertise? We all know those products. And just because I see a BMW commercial on TV doesn't mean I'm going to go out and buy one tomorrow. But clearly there's value there because there's a ton of money being spent on it. And the companies that don't spend that money, there's a, there's a definite, we'll call it a attrition or negative impact for that brand or for that product over time. And so I would just say for, for anyone who's in a, a position of decision-making authority relative to your marketing spend. Consider how important it is for other industries and other products that you know and love. And just think about if you, if you either don't have it now or didn't have it in the future, what impact that might have on your business. And I think the decision becomes very clear that you should be spending money on, on these channels. For some reason, people put a lot of weight on social media, and I mean fear. that They're scared that what they're going to post, how they're going to post, or maybe they're thinking of it more formally like a blog or a website or something along those lines. What advice do you have for how we should be using social media as opposed to some of the other items we might be using in the past? I would say authenticity is the word that comes to mind when it comes to engaging on social platforms. The beauty of social media, if used correctly, is that you can develop one-to-one human relationships. The measure of success on social media is not 
again, in the reactions and the likes and the comments and the engagements and all that stuff, the measure of success is in your direct messages. It's a number of people that reach out to you and say, I resonated with this piece of content, or I would like to express my appreciation or my disagreement with you around this. And you, you build a one-on-one relationship. Both of those are totally fine, but you don't allow that to happen unless you have an authentic brand and an authentic presence. So that's both what you put out into the world and also what you engage with in terms of your comments and your direct messages that you're sending people and your connection requests. Use properly. It is the, it is the most powerful network building and personal brand building tool that has ever existed in the history of the world. Of course, used inappropriately or ineffectively, it's completely different, (laughs) but we won't go there for now. Well, like everything. (laughs) Sure. Yep. That's true. That's true. Well, let's talk about some of the major social media platforms. So uh, to think of a few, we have LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, And although my son uses Snapchat, I don't think we do as the industrial water treatment industry. So with your experience, what is each one used for and what message is appropriate for each one of those? And maybe I missed one. So Twitter slash X. That's right. They remarketed to X. Yeah. I don't don't know if you said it, but that that one is is a really interesting one. So we could go on for a long time about each of these different platforms and how to utilize each one. But what I would say is consistent throughout all of them and is, again, that concept of authenticity. So on LinkedIn, you're showing that you're an authentic leader. You have authentic thoughts. You have authentic content that you want to put out into the world that's relevant to the business community and that's relevant to your network of people. On a platform like X or Twitter, that one, honestly, I think is the most underrated platform terms of social platforms that exists. And the reason is, is that every time I log in, I view X as my really special niche for education in the world that I can't get anywhere else. So I look at that platform as your ability to educate the masses about the thing that you do and love. And you can be as geeky as you want, because a lot of the folks that engage on X and Twitter are super nerdy and geeky. So you want to go deep on water treatment or wastewater treatment, you're going to find your tribe on X better than almost anywhere else. On something like Instagram, of course, it's much more focused on the visuals. So again, authentic visuals, a selfie of you in front of your project site, or you know, a photo of you with a customer, a photo of an installation that you've just done. There are a lot of folks who are really good at this. Waleed Corey is a great example of this online. If you follow Waleed, this, he's, he's a master at doing this type of stuff. YouTube would be another one, more of a focus on video, obviously. Follow Antoine Walter and see what he does. His content is extremely authentic. And it's unique insights that you're not going to get anywhere else. So there's different strategies for each platform, but across all of them, just focus on being authentic and you will find success. And of course, whenever we post anything now, it's good practice to put good keywords with that post. How do you decide which the best keywords are to use and not to use? Yeah, it's a... It's a little bit different for each platform and the algorithms will catalog your content differently based on those keywords. But I would still say you could try to do all the optimizations in the world on your keywords and your hashtags and your tagging strategy and the time of day that you post and all this kind of crap. But ultimately, none of it matters if the content itself is not authentic and doesn't resonate with people. So independent of all those other things, it shouldn't be as complex as people make it. Post interesting stuff, post stuff that you find interesting that you would share with others, you're going to find success independent of all the 
the keyword strategies and all that stuff. Now, if you're a pro at this, that's a separate conversation we can have because there are tweaks that you can make that will have a significant impact on your reach. But by and large for, I would say like the, the general guy or gal who's out there trying to start their social media presence, focus on just getting content out in the world that you find interesting, that you find shareable, and then work on optimizations later. I know I do the podcast because it's fun. I get to meet people like yourself. Uh, you do all the things that you do in content creation because it's fun. I think so many people look at content creation as a task, something I have to do, something I'm being forced to do. How do we shift that over into how do we make it fun? Like you just said, Trace, when I think about creating content, I'm sharing things that I find really interesting. So to me, it doesn't feel like a burden because I'm already, I'm already coming across these things as part of my natural day-to-day operations. And chances are you are too. The difference in feeling like it's a burden versus making it fun is that you have to get your, you have to sort of have a, a frame of reference switch in being a consumption focused person online to a production focused person. And by production, I mean, instead of just reading the latest piece of content or article or news, whatever, whatever that thing may be, recognize that you're actually interested in that thing first. And then secondly, find a way to catalog it so that you can later share it. Those two things oftentimes don't happen. We reread a ton of stuff all the time. It's constantly flooding our inboxes. It's flooding our feeds. It's flooding, you know, our day-to-day lives. But we don't take the time to sit back and think, wow, one, this is really interesting. And I've, and I've read this in its entirety and I found it interesting. Or I viewed this photo or watched this video. And then secondly, I need to find a way to catalog it so that I can then share that with my audience. If you can do those two things, you'll find that it's a hell of a lot of fun. And it's sort of the self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, and I'm curious, Trace, for you, as you post more podcasts, you get more engagement, which you want to continue feeding this this beast, if you will, of getting more content out in the world and seeing how people react to it and try to find ways of optimizing and you know all those things. It just becomes that whole process, the creation process in and of itself becomes fun, independent of the content. So get started and you'll start to find that, that's, that it's a lot more fun than I think uh, most people think it is. When I first started the podcast, I had no idea what podcasting was. I definitely didn't know how to do it. And now almost every interaction that I have, almost every article that I read, I'm thinking, can this be turned into a podcast episode? Yes. I'm curious, what are some tools that you use to make sure that not only you are cataloging these ideas, but you can recall them? I've tried everything under the sun for this. And I know that there are a lot of folks that believe in this concept of something called building a second brain. There's actually a course you can take that's titled building a second brain. And the concept is that you create a home for all this content that you're consuming online and you create a way to be able to organize and filter it appropriately so that you can, you don't have to rely on your brain to recall it because you have a system that can do that for you. I've tried everything. I've tried Evernote. I've tried notes on my phone. I've tried emails. I've tried all of it. What works easiest for me is that I keep a draft on LinkedIn, a draft post on LinkedIn. And anytime I come across something interesting, I just stick the URL in this draft and a little bit of insight as to why I found it interesting. And so I have this giant list of probably, I don't know, 100, 150 pieces of content or articles or videos or whatever that I can pull from at any time to be able to share with the world. And that to me has been the most effective. I'm sure there are people out there that are like, that's broken. You got to try different things. There's way better ways of doing this. And you know what? You're probably right. 
But for me, that works and I've seen success doing it. Yeah. Find what works with you and with your team. And that's what you do. We've gone through so many iterations. I think originally it was an Excel sheet and we get paid nothing from monday.com, but we're using uh, monday.com because it allows us to not only capture our ideas, but put our entire process of how we get a podcast out the door. And since everybody's working remotely, we want to make sure that we're being efficient with our communication and everybody knows where the other person is without us having to call an email saying, hey, where are we on this episode? I am amazed that we have 92 steps in order to get a podcast out the door. How does that happen? <laughs> you have quite the operation going. That's impressive. I don't know if it's impressive or just crazy, but we, we definitely have a, a machine that, uh, that we've created and uh, We'll try to post so many times on episodes that we create so people know it's coming out. And then two weeks later, we repost that to get people that might have missed it. And occasionally, things will not go out as they're scheduled. And you wonder if anybody's ever reading these things, is it making a connection with people? And when people don't get something they're expecting, it's amazing how many people will reach out to us and say, hey, where's the content? We were expecting this. Well, you're late. So I'm glad people are, are listening. I'm glad people are paying attention. Me too. Yep. You put, put way too much time and effort for this to fall on deaf ears. So with that, everything takes a budget. So we've got some people that are just starting out on this. They're going to listen to this episode and they're thinking, I'm going to do something today. And then there are corporations out there that are thinking, how do we really have an appropriate marketing budget? So to speak on both sides of that, what advice would you give? So we are so fortunate to live in an era where you can reach anyone around the world 24-7 with your message. And you can do it literally for free with the exception of your time. So for the folks that are just starting out, take your platform of choice that you find most interesting or that you find yourself spending the most time on. I don't care if it's Facebook, Instagram, X, LinkedIn, whatever. Download the app to your phone, assuming that you have one, and just start. It's free. Don't try to over-optimize share, just start by sharing content you find interesting. You don't even have to put your original thoughts in. Just take action and start with one post a week. That simple. Share one post a week that you find interesting and see what happens. So if you're on that side of the table, just get started. That's it. Reach out to Trace or I and you know we can have a little accountability session and we can make sure that you're following up on your goal and ensure that you are you are actively trying to tell your story or tell some story out of the world. On the corporate side of things, it's a much different discussion because you you I'm guessing you already have an existing budget. And so the question is, how do we divvy that budget up effectively to get the biggest bang for our buck? And can we increase it if we want to try out some new things? Interestingly, in a very similar vein, you should also take that newbie approach to launching on new platforms or creating new content, the MVP, if you will, minimum viable product or minimum effective dose. So let's assume you're a big company who wants to try creating YouTube videos. Start by taking your iPhone, recording an employee or having an employee record themselves out in the field, candid shot, 20 seconds long, and post it to YouTube as a short. No editing, no filtering, no optimization and see what happens. 
And what you'll find is that the way that YouTube and other platforms will surface content based on the content itself and the algorithms that are searching that content, it will naturally find the audience that it resonates most with. So even if you just get a couple hits for the first 10 or 20 videos you post, it's only taken you maybe a week or two to do this. And by then you're going to have a feeling, hey, is this something that we can really commit to? Is this something that we should put budget towards? Because you will already have an appreciation for how your other channels are working out. So take that beginner approach and see what happens. Whenever we start something new, we stumble as we try to find that ground. And heaven knows that I've stumbled so many times on this podcast. I'm curious, do you have any funny stories around that? Oh my goodness. For me, it's fun. And maybe this is kind of perverse, but for me, it's fun. When I get haters, it's so much fun. When I have a post go viral, and like I, I posted one maybe three weeks ago that went somewhat viral, probably a couple hundred thousand impressions, you know, hundreds of comments. And it was about the value of water to a society compared to the value of what a professional athlete is being paid to do their work. And in this case, I was comparing Patrick Mahomes and his unbelievably huge payout for his contract. So for those that don't know, he's an NFL football player for the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the most highly paid people in the NFL. It's like a $500 million contract for 10 years. And I compared his salary to the salary of American Waters CEO. And I compared the value of their organizations, American Water versus the Kansas City Chiefs, to society at large. And I had people ripping me to shreds in the comments. I had people saying, you're an idiot. Uh, This is so anti-capitalist. How can you hate on Patrick? He's the greatest athlete of our era. I mean, all this kind of stuff. And for me, it's thank you. Thank you for feeding the algorithm to continue surfacing my content. I love it. Troll me as hard as you want. Like it's no skin off my back. So for me, that's some of the most fun that I have and even some of the most funny because for someone to tell me that I'm anti-capitalist having started multiple businesses of my own that are not non-for-profits just cracks me up. Like clearly they don't know me or have an appreciation for the values that I believe in. So that kind of stuff is always, uh, is always funny to me. I love that. We had an issue with, uh, for some reason, one of our podcasts did not post on time. And uh, we always post on early Friday morning. And somebody, I guess, got up and the podcast wasn't there. And they, they posted just a very simple phrase, where the F is the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so at least they care. At least they are. That's right. Exactly. You know, you know, you have struck a chord. You know, you have evoked emotion within someone, which is either way, granted, you, you typically don't want angry people, but still, you know that that content is doing something, which is always nice. And we quickly reposted, and they enjoyed the content that was up there waiting for them. You mentioned going viral, and I think there's a mindset that we have to have, because I think if we write something with the intention of going viral, that's probably not the right mindset. Would you agree? That's correct. You would much rather have 10 people engage with your content and send you a direct message who are other thought leaders or a part of the audience that you're trying to reach, as opposed to 100,000 people, where only one might be the person that you're really trying to resonate with. So going viral is not the goal. The goal is to create authentic content that enables you to find a tribe of people online that resonate with you. There's this concept called a thousand true fans. That's really who you're looking for. 
the thousand true fans that want to follow you, that engage with your stuff, that enjoy what you put out there, that want to create a relationship with you, as opposed to being the person that right, gets millions of views and has all these followers, but doesn't really mean anything. It's the, one of my friends who's very successful on social says it's a lonely road to nowhere. That's not what you want to be doing. You want to optimize for building those human relationships. Two people that I know in podcasting are Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas, and they have millions of downloads. And I look at ours, and uh, we have almost 20,000. And I look at them, and I compare to what they're doing to what we're doing. I'm thinking, oh, where's this gap? Why, why can't we complete this gap? And I believe the quote that you just said about the 1,000 followers, uh, I believe that's Tim Ferriss, isn't it? Gosh, is it Tim? Maybe. Tim does use that concept a lot. I don't know. We could do a quick search. In any case, yeah, it's not my, it's not my quote. Well, with that, I remember whoever wrote that, I read it, and I was thinking, okay, I'm focused on the wrong thing. You know, it's it's the one person I'm connecting with, or the 10 people, or, or maybe the 1,000 people, and in our case, almost 20,000 people. And you don't compare yourself to what someone else is doing. You compare yourself to what you did yesterday. And, and when we have that kind of mindset, I think it does make creating content a lot more fun and a lot more worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. I think it's Tim Urban. I'm okay, pretty, I'm pretty sure. Maybe Seth Godin, but I think it's Tim Urban who said that. And I completely agree with you. I mean, you, as you, like, as you just think about it from your, in your personal life and your personal relationships, do you want to have a million people who follow you that are, you know, that think they know you and want a piece of your attention and think that, you know, that they deserve something just by nature of following you? Or would you much rather have a circle of 10 or 20 or 30 people that you trust and appreciate that you want to connect with, that you want to have, you want to go out with drinks for, you want to have over to your house, or you want to meet their families, you want to get to know their kids. Personally, I would much rather have the latter. I would much rather have tight, closely held relationships with people that I value, that people res- that I respect, that people that I know are a good influence, as opposed to just a mass of people who I don't know. So as I'm creating content, I'm thinking about that. How can I attract people who I would be attracted to by having this presence online? So Adam, this is the part of the show where you give me therapy. I'm curious. <laughs> uh, you and I both go to water conferences and we get recognized. That's always been uncomfortable for me. Uh, I'm going to ask the question uh, how you work with that. And, and then afterwards, I'll tell you how I've been coached to work on that. But I'm curious, when somebody says, oh my gosh, I, I read your blog, I, I've heard your podcast, you've done so much for me, or I stayed in this industry because you inspired me, or I got this certification because you inspired me. How do you interact with that person to make sure they're getting what they need and less focus on you? I hate having the focus on me, truthfully. I absolutely hate it. Can't stand it. So I usually, it's a, it's a very sincere thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Tell me what you're up to these days. And I deflect. I put, immediately put it back on them. And I find that most people are generally more interested in talking about themselves than they are talking about you, which is perfect because I don't want to talk about myself anyway. So that's, that's my approach to it. But I'm super interested to know what, you're, what you've been coached on. 
Well, so uh, a good friend of mine and business mentor, Tim Fulton, we've had him on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, I've been working with him for a couple of years, and I shared with him that it's it's not that I felt bad. I just felt uncomfortable because I, I consider myself a humble person, and when somebody is giving you credit for something they did, uh, it was just an uncomfortable time for me. I didn't know how to take praise like that. Uh, so what I would do, I would make a joke. Uh, for example, somebody would say, oh, you're, you're my hero. And I'm like, well, you don't have a very mm. high definition of heroes, do you? Well, that, gen- that just took away the gift that they were trying to give me. Mm. So that's what he coached me on. And he said, you know what, um, you know, be flattered, um, but, uh, but also be, be humble and, and just thank them. And so that's, that's something that I work with. And I, and I have to say, for all the Scaling Up Nation members that have come up and said something to me, I, I really do love that. It, it really makes me feel good, especially when you and I do what we do. We're on a microphone. We don't know who's going to listen to the episodes that we're producing. And then we hear not only did somebody listen to it, but somebody did something with it. And now somebody thinks so much about that episode that now they're giving you credit for them doing something that they did. And I'm just so incredibly humbled by that. And I just feel so fortunate that, you know, we have a platform like a podcast where we can connect with people like that. So always working on that, but I try to keep in mind that they're trying to thank me and I want to reciprocate that thank you. I like that approach. What are some key takeaways you want to make sure that the Scaling Up Nation leaves with today? Start building your brand. Own it. Own it because, like I said before, if you don't own it, somebody else will. And you don't know what that other person is going to say about you. So it's much better to be proactive. It's much better to control the narrative. It's much better to build those thousand true fans than allowing the world to take its course and you just play a passive role in it. And as Trace and I have discussed during this episode, it doesn't need to be complex. Start with a single post, start with a single reshare, write a quick couple sentences about something that you've read and just put it out into the world and see what happens. Great advice. Well, let's go to our lightning round questions. And these are some brand new questions because we've asked you a couple in the past. You and I can see each other on video. Of course, the podcast does not have video attached to it, but members of the Scaling Up Nation, trust me, I am looking at Adam and there are thousands of books behind him. <laughs> I'm always looking to update my reading list. What are two of your favorites behind you and why should we be reading them? So one I'm looking at right now, it's called The Black Swan and it's by Nassim Taleb. Really interesting. I think he might call himself a philosopher or a scholar, but he effectively talks about the unseen events that occur and have occurred throughout the course of history that have an un, just an unsized impact or an outsized impact on the way that we live our lives that we could have never predicted. An example of that would be the invention of the internet. Probably couldn't have predicted it. In hindsight, we can. Changes everything about how we operate. And that book, it just opened my mind to this whole concept of the idea of a black swan. And I highly encourage you to read that one. I think it's a, definitely a mind opener. The second one in my personal favorite and probably forever and always will be is called Think and Grow Rich. And it's by a guy named Napoleon Hill. I didn't grow up in a family of business people or entrepreneurs. My parents were 
government worker, my dad, and then my mom was a teacher, public school teacher. And reading Think and Grow Rich, it was the first time in my life where I felt that somebody understood me and my thoughts and perspectives and how I viewed the world and my the way that I wanted to go about living it and my interest in business and all those things. That was the first time I felt empowered to go and take control of my own narrative and go down the path of, of business and entrepreneurship. So those two both had an outsized impact on my life, and I, I recommend them wholly. Think and Grow Rich, to my knowledge, was the first time the term mastermind came into print. And of course, we started the Rising Tide Mastermind about five years ago. I love that book. I cannot recommend that to enough people. There is some, I guess, time-sensitive words within there. So if you do read it, you know, make sure that you understood that that was written in the 20s, I believe. Correct. Correct. So yeah, love those two books. Um, uh, All right. So normally this podcast is about how can we be more productive? This question is the opposite of that. I was watching something on Netflix the other day and it said only two more episodes to go. Like there was this big prize if you finish. So total time waste. I'm curious, what are you binge watching right now? Absolutely nothing. I am not a, a movie or, or um, TV show kind of guy. I just, I don't know. I never have been. I don't know if I don't have the patience or what it is. So for me, my, like, my guilty vice would be either reading or writing books or occasionally, occasionally if I find time to get into a video game. You need to invent a water video game. That's what our industry is missing. There is one. Is there? So as it turns out, last year, maybe earlier this year, WEF invested in creating a video game where it's this like future utopian society where water is in shambles and you have to go basically recreate the water infrastructure from the ground up. And I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but I'll find it. You can put it in the show notes, uh, but it's out there for anyone to play. There we go. Who knew? What's the number one thing that you're looking forward to in this new year? So I had a baby last November. She's almost a year old now. Congratulations. Thank you. And I am so looking forward to her turning one and seeing the next evolution of her persona and personality. I feel like I, and I really have, we have a completely different child than we did 11 months ago. And I just know that when she hits one and she's walking and she's exploring and she's talking and we can interact with, I interact more with her, it's going to be incredibly fulfilling. So that's what I'm, I'm most looking forward to. There are a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are thinking about getting into this industry. You are obviously not only in this industry, this industry is your passion. What advice do you have for them? There is a job for you. <laughs> it's one of the things I love most about this industry, whether you're an ultra geeky you know, engineer who wants to get in the nitty gritty of, of biological wastewater treatment. Whether you're a policy person who wants to think about the future of regulation in this country relative to water, if you're someone who is a social media guru and wants to help us communicate our story to the world, we need you and there is a job for you. So I will offer my time and my resources to help you find a job if it's something that you are interested in. So after this show, after you're done listening, reach out to me. And we will make sure that you get the resources you need to find something that's a good fit. It's a great offer. And we'll make sure to have all your contact information on the show notes. 
Thank you so much for coming on once again to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Thanks for having me, Trace. Scaling Up Nation, I love having Adam on the podcast. Adam is one of those people that just loves to give. And you can just tell that when you're listening to him. And because of that, and I've experienced the same thing, when you give freely, people want to give to you freely. And I cannot thank all the mentors that I have had in my life that have either helped me with a technical issue or they've helped me with a business issue or a personal issue. There's just so much knowledge out there that if people know your heart and they know that you are willing to help other people, they are willing to help you. And every time I talk to Adam, I just feel that that is the same thing that he thinks. You can just hear it in his voice. So Adam, once again, thank you for coming on the podcast again. Thank you for sharing all of that information. I know I'm going to be tweaking a couple of things that we are doing and I know the Scaling Up Nation is as well. So Nation, if you have a guest that you want us to interview on the podcast, by all means, let me know who that is by going to scalinguph2o.com and going over to our show ideas page, and we will definitely get that person interviewed. Nation, I wanted to go ahead and close with a couple of things. One, we are in the holiday season, and a lot of times the holiday season can cause stress for people. It might cause some bad feelings for some people. Some people might remember Christmas past and people aren't here anymore. And I understand that. And it's my hope that uh, everybody that listens to this podcast is motivated to give just like we talked about. And a lot of times when we freely give, it really allows us to feel better about whatever's going on. It puts our mindset in the right place because if we're not helping each other, uh, if we're not being allies with each other, Life is just too short, so I'll just say that, and I'm going to give you a couple of things to think about in this holiday season, and I remember my father-in-law, who's no longer with us, his name was Sam, he used to always say that Christmas was for kids, and you would normally think that he would just not do Christmas because he didn't have any more kids, they were all grown up, well, no, he always had the spirit that he acted like a kid around Christmas, so... We always think of him when we are putting our Christmas decorations up. We actually lost him the day after Thanksgiving. So one of the traditions that we have is we always have our Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving, just in remembrance of him. And uh, anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. But it's, it's with the mindset of Sam that I am sharing all of this with you because I truly believe when we seek out to help other people, that is the biggest thing that we can do for ourselves because we are meant to do life together as a community. We are meant to help each other. We are meant to be together. So with that, let's talk about some things that you can do for kids first. So uh, several people out there in the Scaling Up Nation, including myself, are involved in the foster care system. 
There is a site out there called One Simple Wish, and this is where professionals in the foster industry actually put requests that children have in the foster care system that you can go online and you can help with that particular child. We're going to have all this information on our show notes page, so don't worry about all the websites, but that one's called One Simple Wish. Another one is the Salvation Army, and they sponsor the Angel Tree. And this is to get toys to kids who are in need that might not have a special Christmas without your help. And there's so many businesses that have angel trees. We went to a restaurant the other night and we noticed an angel tree. That's something that my family does each and every Christmas. So we're going to have information on the angel tree there. Another program you might have heard of, maybe you haven't, it's called Operation Santa, and this is where the United States Post Office allows you to provide gifts to kids who have written letters to Santa. So we'll have that link on there as well. Another one you might be familiar with is the United States Marine Corps. They do toys for tots. Uh, and there are lots of drop-off locations, uh, probably one very close to you. So there's, there are a couple of things that you can do to provide maybe an extra gift this year to someone that might not have received a gift. And uh, moving on, uh, another group that needs some extra care during these holiday times is our elderly population. One of my heroes was my grandfather, Dr. Raymond Horner. Blackmore. He was a PhD chemist. He was my hero. And we had him up through his 98th birthday. And he just taught me so much about life. And he was in an assisted living facility for uh, the last couple of years of his life. And there were so many people. We would visit him on a, on a regular basis. And there were so many people there that just didn't have anybody that was coming to visit them. And it was, especially around this time of year, it, it really makes you think about all those people that uh, are alone during the holidays. Well, there is a group called Love for the Elderly. And this is where you can send cards to people that might not have received cards. So uh, this one is all over the globe. So we're going to have that on our webpage. Also, people might be in the hospital during Christmas, especially kids. So there's another program called Cards for Hospitalized Kids. Not very creative with the name, but it definitely gets the point across. And can you imagine being a child and being in the hospital over Christmas. So this allows you to uh, write a card. And we're going to have this and so many other things. Another one that I'll mention is Soldier Angels. And this is for military families. And uh, you'll to learn more about that and how you can support military families over this holiday time. We'll have that for you. Scout Nation, as we are wrapping up the year, I know you are wondering, what is James McDonald going to do next year? Well, here is something James created special just for the Scaling Up Nation. The next James is challenged as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James.
So what's next for the weekly series with James? What will we explore, think about, imagine, and learn together in 2024? <laughs> You'll just have to wait and see, drop by drop. Well, there it is. We're going to have to wait till next year to figure out what James is doing with the Scaling Up Nation. But we know James is doing something, and we know every time he does something with the Scaling Up Nation, we get better one week at a time. So, James, thank you for all the hard work that you put in to all the things that you are trying to elevate our knowledge with. And Scaling Up Nation, thank you for tuning in. We're going to have another brand new episode for you next week. And until then, I hope you think about what you can do for someone else and how that's going to elevate this holiday season. Take care, everybody. Happy holidays. Scale Up Nation, you asked for it and it is here. So many of you are taking the Certified Water Technologist examination and you're wanting to get better information on how to better answer the mock exam. Now this is the exam that you get when you sign up for the CWT exam. Well, I have heard your request and I've done exactly that. I have recorded a class that has exactly what you've been asking for. It is me answering each one of the questions and letting you know why I chose certain answers. And of course, everybody wants me to do math and I do all the math on the mock exam. So you can see how to get the right answer. And I hope this is something that will help build your confidence so you can get your certification. You can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Get out there and get your certification today.